This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Would you consider putting a granny flat in your backyard? Would you rent it to someone you didn't know? A recent report identified more than 650,000 properties would have room for a granny flat out the back across Australia's biggest cities, of course, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. In Metro Melbourne alone, the report by Archer Star, Blackfoot and Core Logic found 13% of homes would be suitable for a second dwelling. But is it a viable solution for our current housing crisis? Good morning, I'm Kirsten Diprose coming to you from the ABC studio in Warrnambool for the Conversation Hour here on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. You know, just last month the Victorian government said it would be removing restrictions around second dwellings with no permits required for second homes that are less than 60 square metres. This was, of course, part of its big housing statement announced in an effort to address the undersupply of homes and, of course, its knock-on effects, which we're all seeing of high rents and labour shortages. So we want to know, would you live in a granny flat on someone else's property? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. How do you best negotiate that relationship as well if you've got someone living in a, a granny flat? I think originally granny flats were often for a, a member of the family and indeed still are. But if it's a, a tenant, how do you set that up correctly? Do we have the right tenancy laws? And if you're a landlord, would you consider building a small house in your backyard and renting it out. Well, Maureen Nash rents a granny flat just near Brisbane. Welcome to the program, Maureen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Telling, tell me about, you know, where you live and, and what it's like to live in a granny flat. Um, I've, I just, I've lived in granny flats probably for the last oh, 20 years or something like that. A range of granny flats, both ones that are separate from the house and also ones that are underneath someone's house as well. So um, how I, I, I like living in a granny flat. The reason being I have lived in a unit once in my life and I didn't really like it because um, you're very clo- in close proximity to your neighbours. Mm, so you've got a bit of space where you are. Yeah, I've got a bit of space. I live on um, in Brisbane, but a little bit, um, it's still metropolitan, but a little bit out. I live in an area that's very bushy. And how does it work with the landlord? Do you have a, a set agreement in place? Yes, we, we've always had a, uh, a tenancy, a, a lease agreement. Um, she was great like that in terms of um, protecting me as well as protecting her as well. So I think that's very important that people do have a lease to protect uh, we've got themselves. A, we've got a text in saying, for goodness sake, there's nothing new about granny flats. <laughs> and look, I mean, your case in point about that. But we're having this conversation because you know, across the country, we're in a housing crisis. Are you finding people are, you know, people you know are considering this option more? Um, yes, and I am 
I despair at what's happening really in the in the rental market. Um, so there's people, a lot of people also looking at um, tiny homes and having their tiny homes on someone else's property. Um, but what needs to change is the um, legislation and regulations of councils um, in order for people to do that. Yeah, I mean, we're obviously in, in Victoria, but it it is often a council-by-council council decision whether or not you can build something in your backyard, whether that's a granny flat or accommodation um, for, for workers, which is an, another problem that we have. That's right. So um, some councils uh, up here, they're getting, some are getting a li little bit more lenient around that, um, but others are, are really um, set on that you can't have, you can't stay in like a tiny home or a caravan for more than a period of time, usually a few months. What would Which you recommend? Which is why the gran granny flat is, is a better solution in some ways my only concern with the granny flats and it, people putting them on their land, well, there's a couple of concerns. One is what if someone sells their property, wants to sell their property, where does that leave the tenant who's in the granny flat? And the other thing um, in terms of the current crisis, um, what we're finding, as you know, that uh, landlords are putting the, the rents up. Now, what's going to stop someone um, who is has a granny flat in their backyard, say, charging $300, $400? That's actually not going to help. We need affordable housing. And I know that there are laws in Victoria about how much you can mm. put rents up um, in, in one hit to, to stop that from happening. What's some advice you would give to someone who's looking at perhaps moving into a granny flat to make sure that their rights are protected and they can, you know, enjoy their home the best that they can? Well, firstly, I think you need to, if you see an ad for a granny flat, you need to contact the person and actually go and go there and meet with the person over a cup of tea <laughs> um, because you need to know who's going to, who who owns the property, who's going to be living on the property as well. Um, so I'd certainly make sure you you are very sure if this is what you want to do and this is the right person to be sharing on their land with. The other thing is, as I mentioned, you, you have a lease, get a lease on it. Um, and if they don't want to do that, um, then you have to have something else in place, whether it's an agreement that you'll go month by month, but that's, that's very unstable. Um, <laughs> Could you potentially be in a situation where someone at the front property is also renting? Um, it could be, but I'm I'm not quite I'm quite sure of like with real estate if they're renting, are they allowed to rent out that mm. granny flat? Um, that would be something they'd have to negotiate with the real estate, I imagine. Yeah, we'll, uh, we're, we've got the Real Estate Institute mm. of Victoria joining us yeah. and also someone from the Tenancy Union who will ask about that. Thank you, Maureen, so much for joining us and sharing your experience. And we're so glad that you're enjoying where you live and have a good landlord. Yes, thank you. Maureen Nash there, who lives in a granny flat just near Brisbane. Roz is in Bulleen. Hi, Roz. Yes, hello, Kristen. It's Roz. Um, I... Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. What did you want to say? 
Okay, I, I think it's very workable. I'd live in a granny flat. I'm used to share housing from university. I have a dog. In fact, you've met my dog, Rafa, the golden labradoodle. And ah. I feel like, yes, I feel like <laughs> it could be a well-being transaction as well as a financial transaction, adding well-being benefits to the person in the front house. And yeah. there are a lot of things we can do to barter to help to help each other and build community. I think that's a great point, Ros. You know, so long as you, you get on well with the landlord, you might end up with, you know, a, a nice friend, essentially, in the backyard and, and someone who can help support you. Patrick is in the Mornington Peninsula. Hi, Patrick. Hi, how are you? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, look, my father built a uh, bungalow when he came out from Europe to house his family. A, a year later, he sponsored them. And it was yeah. a tiny bungalow that housed them while they got themselves together and built and moved on. And I lived in that bungalow, and I thought it was great. I really enjoyed the freedom as a, as a teenager in that bungalow. <laughs> I yeah, think it's I'll a bet. great idea. But the, the only thing that concerns me, because, you know, we intend to do the same uh, for our children to perhaps put a bungalow and they could live in it. A bungalow or a granny flat, whatever you want to call it, essentially they're the same thing, they're self-contained. Except my concern is, you know, with governments, particularly like the last one here in Victoria with Daniel Andrews, you know, we'll end up being taxed more heavily for it. So are they going to create incentives for this or disincentives for this to happen so that, you know, it, it make it workable? You know, so that people will mm. do that and want to do that and want to live in them, you know. I, I wonder, Patrick, you know, there are a lot of people who, who already have these sort of bungalows and they rent it out on, you know, Airbnb. Um, but, of course, we need housing for people. Absolutely. And, and, so. and incentives is, is the key. There's a disincentive coming in... Uh, in I think it's not till uh, 2025 uh, of that 7.5% tax, but... Are there any incentives? I think you make a good point. Thank you, Patrick. No worries. Thank you for having me on. 1300 222 is our number. Or our text line is 0437 774 774. Would you want to live in a granny flat on someone else's property? And how do you best negotiate that relationship? Are the tenancy laws set up correctly? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. We will go to Ben Cording, though, from who's the Chief Solicitor at Tenancy Victoria. Hi, Ben. Hey, how are you going, Kirsten? And thanks for having us on the show. Thanks for coming on. We've got quite a few questions, and I think we'll start with what are the basic tenancy laws uh, for bungalows or granny flats if you are living on someone else's property what sort of things do you need to make sure you've got in a tenancy agreement yeah sure look it's a really interesting issue that sort of popped up and it's really welcome that i think um the government and everyone's sort of looking at everything they can do to try and deal with the housing crisis because obviously when you're in a crisis you need to look at what your options are and you know the granny flat the humble granny flat's been in the background for quite a while and um strangely enough there's actually nothing in the law that uses the term granny flat um the the very strange term that they use is what's called a movable unit um and and frankly the, the laws are much the same as what you'd have in any other house um 
you know, what, what tends to be uh, sticking points for some people is that the person might live out the back in the bungalow and, you know, they, they don't have proper separate metering in their utilities and then all of a sudden, you know, there might be a dispute and the person in the bungalow realises that the property's not separately metered. They might be eligible to get, you know, the last six years of their power and electricity bills that they've been paying for the person in the front back. So I, I think what we can learn from it is that um, there's, there's not a lot of contemplation of this specific arrangement and we'd really invite the government um, to consult with ourselves and, and all the stakeholders that are in this sort of accommodation to try and make it nice and clear because, you know, when you're going from that front house to the back house, where's the boundary between their land and my land? So there's a lot of that sort of stuff and what we want is that if there's going to be an embracing of uh, the humble granny flat, and it's not just for, for, for granny, obviously, you know, whether you've got a nonna or, a, you know, a gang gang, whatever you call your grandma or your parents, um, it can be for adult children with a disability, it can be for students, you know, the, one of the highest demands that we see for accommodation is that actual single unit and we know that the, the costs of building a full-fledged house for someone, you know, might be in the order around $400,000, $500,000, whereas these particular units that can be built, there's already an industry that does it, um, you know, maybe about 100000 even cheaper for second-hand ones and I think frankly with, you know, where, where um, insurances are going for house insurance, uh, it looks like the forecast is that, you know, we're still going to have disasters. So when are we not going to need housing, um, whether there's a fleet available of, you know, granny flats to deploy to people when there's been a major disaster? Um, so the laws are there, um, but I think that they need to be developed a little bit further. So if your standard lease is there, make sure you talk your utilities, work out where your boundaries are, make sure that you respect each other. So it's, it's certainly um, a really great opportunity. And I think, you know, there's been some articles talking, this is an untapped area um, to look beyond as it just the humble granny flat. And obviously there's been a huge movement towards tiny homes, which are slightly different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, exciting to see people talking about this space. Well, the report that we quoted earlier is, is saying that about 13% of homes would be suitable, and that's just in Metro Melbourne for a dwelling like mm. this. With, yep. I know that when, when we were talking about that tax on Airbnbs and, you know, some people were saying this is a great thing, other people were saying this is terrible, but one thing we did get a lot of calls about was from landlords who were saying that they were didn't want to lease out their properties to permanent tenants because the laws are so sort of in the favour of tenants that if something goes wrong, they can't get them out. And I feel like if mm. this is on your home property, what are the potential concerns there? <laughs> Well, well, absolutely. You're right that when we explore these issues, there's, there's two aspects. There's the planning aspect of actually getting, you know, the dwelling there. And then obviously there's the people aspect. And we need to make sure there are proper mechanisms for everyone so that we don't see exploitations of people, you know, chucking 30 units on their dwellings and just turning heaps of money and not giving a care. We've come a long way with rooming houses and regulation to make sure that they're fair and that people are protected. Um, and also we want to see that landlords are protected. And there are mechanisms in the Act that when people have disputes, um, that there's a process that they can go through to try and resolve the issue. And ultimately, if there are significant issues and they can't be resolved, that person can be moved on. So, so we know that there's a real tension there. But in an environment where we have such a shortage of housing, um, everyone's doing everything they can. And we need to think beyond ourselves. We need to think about our kids, you know. I've got three, three little fellas there. And, you know, if that's a million bucks each, you know, for them to even look at getting into the market, what does that mean for their generation? So as a young person, I think we should be really looking at options that um, level the playing field 
called Stabilise the Market so that everyone has a home. It's an essential service and absolutely, yes, we have disputes. But if you look at it as someone that owns, you've got a neighbour that moves in next door and they're a right pain in the butt, well, the reality is that there are not easy processes to move those people on either because <laughs> everyone needs a home. So we want to make sure that, yes, these things are thought through well and that's why we invite the government to talk about those exact sort of issues so that we do the planning well and that we get the supply done, but also that when yeah. someone's moving into the bungalow out the back, you're not anxious and you, you think, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to do anything like this and my kids are going to be up all night because they're partying. There are laws in place that already deal with it. And if that means that people need to be better educated or they need to be fine-tuned, absolutely we invite that. But as a base level in a housing crisis, we want to look at go, granny flats, is it an option? Is it going to help people? Absolutely. We think that there's um, some really good things that can be explored there. I mean, the reality is you're not going to put up with construction for so long. You can literally overnight crane it, chuck it in the backyard, um, hook up your utilities, make sure that, you know, all the arrangements are compliant with the laws. Um, and then someone's got someone that's, you know, a shelter over their head. That That's a huge saving. So we also need to think about this as a community responsibility that, you know, when people are living rough or they're going through all these services, they're living in tent, there's a huge harm being done there that ultimately is going to cost the taxpayer, whether you're a landlord or a renter. Um, so we want to make sure that we're making sensible opportunities um, realised. You want to bring them to, to um, people being going, you can have a home and it can be a place. And it's not a solution to the housing crisis, but in a crisis, it's a great interim solution. And for some people in a transitional state, whether it's a young person or an old person, we're changing the way that we live. We're seeing that people are now going, well, actually, I'm advertising this house, very expensive, but actually mum and dad can live with you in the other house out the back. And that that's an important consideration for aged care, for a lot of people that have exhausted their superannuation. I mean, the ones that really break my heart in this rental crisis is I'm seeing people are going, I can't afford to retire. Like, I'm just going to work until I die because I can't yep. afford my rent increase. Ben Corning, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Chief Solicitor at the, at Tenancy Victoria. We have Barbara in, uh, Danielle, I should say, in Canterbury. Hi, Danielle. G'day, how are you? Um, I was just wanting to, I'm not a tax expert or any, by any means, but I'm just wanting people to be aware that um, if they build a granny frat or a bungalow in their backyard and rent it to anybody other than have their family staying in it free of charge um, and it's their primary residence, when they go to sell their property, they will be up for an extra tax, the capital gains. If you rent out a room or anything within your primary residence, the government then turns around and taxes you for capital gains. So mm. um, it's all good for people to be doing this and I agree with all the, the sentiment behind but I just want people to be aware that that is um, something and then perhaps hopefully the governments can look at doing something if they want to put their money where their mouth is and help um, increase you know, the availability of these kind of housing so people can do it without it being a penalty to them in the future. So you get that double tax of the two housing, oh, two houses essentially? <laughs> No, well, because you've turned your primary residence, your home, which is currently not taxed when you sell it, if it's your primary residence, if you haven't um, rented anything out in it, it's just been your home, there's no tax. Um, but if you have rented out rooms or if you rent out a, a flat in the backyard, it's no longer considered just your primary residence. It's been an income and you will be paying a capital gains tax of some sort. And perhaps you can get some tax people to explain that a bit better than mm. I do. But it is definitely something that people need to be aware of no, if they start you. renting out um, a property on their on their primary residence. Different if it's a second home because you're already going to be paying capital gains. But if it's your primary residence and your home and you do that, then taxes will apply in the future.
Danielle, thank you for calling in. Barbara is in Cheltenham. Hi, Barbara. Good morning. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say I live in a converted garage at my sister's place. Um, it's very small. It's just a single garage. Uh, and we built it about 10 years ago. And how are you finding it? Oh, it's great. I, I had lived in a four-wheel drive before that, so it's it's an upmarket from that. But um, I paid for the conversion here. We weren't allowed to make it any bigger um, because at that stage, um, council regs stopped all that. And it wasn't called a granny flat because, um, again, you had to have it on a separate title. But I see all that's changed now. And... I suppose, what advice would you give to others who are looking at these, you know, granny flats or, or converted garage? Is it, because it's, yeah, is it, it's very um, small, but is it separate to the property? It like, is. is it, yeah. Well, it's, I've got my own entrance and everything, uh, like a normal driveway. I actually do a bit in the main house. I do my washing um, and come and go from there. But most of the time, my dog and I live quite happily out here. And is it a landlord or do you know, or are you related well, it's to... my sister. It's your it's sister, It's actually right. my sister's house. <laughs> yeah. And that makes we, it easier if you're doing the washing. It, yeah, well, that was all part of the rules of, of building at that stage. You just couldn't, um, we couldn't do anything more than make it into a, well, they called it a studio. Um, I wasn't allowed to put in a fixed oven, but other than that, it, I've got everything else. I've got shower and toilet in a separate little part. And, you know, my bed, the Murphy bed, goes up into the wall. So that gives me a bit more space when I'm, um, you know, just doing things during the day. Barbara, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Bye. And some of your text messages, uh, there is not just capital gains tax, what about land tax? Uh, you have to rent your property for six years before capital gains tax kicks in, says Jan in Nary Warren. And uh, Penny in Malvern says you have not rented out your primary residence. Um, that's incorrect. So that might be something we need to, to chase up. And other text messages say I've had... I had, have had a granny flat that I rented out for 22 years with the same person in it. I incorporated the bills into the rent and it worked out perfectly. We are both respectful of our spaces, says Lil. My small one-bedroom Airbnb is not large enough to live in permanently, but Dan's new Airbnb tax will cause me to take it off the market. Humble unit lost to the market because of this tax. And there was another one. Uh, here we go from Chris. Kirsten and Victoria, there would need to be a drastic change in rural town council laws to allow granny flats to be built. In particular, the Northern Grampianshire will not allow a dwelling to be built on less than 200 acres. I'm not sure about that, but that's another point. What are the rules in different areas? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. 1300 774 is the number to call. Would you live in a granny flat? Do you already live in one? And how do you best negotiate that relationship if you're living on someone else's property? Would you consider building a small house in your backyard and renting it out? We know that we've got a historic low rate vacancy rates of less than 1% at the moment. So is this a way to solve our rental crisis. Well, Michael... 
Fotheringham is the Managing Director at the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute. Hi, Michael. Hi, Kirsten. How are you? Tell me about the, I guess, importance of this as a potential solution. Can it actually make a dent in our crisis? Well, it potentially could. I mean, I guess the data released this week suggests that that across the three biggest capital cities, you know, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, there are two-thirds of a million sites, you know, people's backyards, that, that, that could accommodate this with current planning rules. Of course, that requires the owner of those properties to want to do this. And, and that's that's probably the bigger question, is how many people would actually like to, to put a secondary dwelling on in their backyard um, and... and Supply it through the rental system, and and you know the appetite for that's probably a little bit untested. It's an area where historically planning and and local governments have been perhaps resistant to it. Um, it's mostly been used for family members, hence the sort of the standard name of, of granny flats, which is not actually a legal name. It's just what we all call them. Um, but um, the use of them for non-family members is something that's that's really a growing interest across the country, and I think has a lot of potential. Yes, it's interesting how we still call them granny flats, but increasingly now it's probably more for the children uh, that we're thinking about building dwellings in our backyards. But to really solve this housing crisis issue, or at least have this as one of the viable solutions, we're really talking about renting it out to a stranger. Well, that's right. I mean, look, we one of the things that we need is is more small dwellings, more more. Um, you know, we've built a lot of suburbs full of three and four bedroom houses, um, but but twenty five percent of our households are single person households, and, and about a third are two person households. So, you know, between them, that's that's roughly half our households are one and two people. Don't necessarily need four bedrooms in a big backyard just for for one or two people. So, having those smaller dwellings is really important. And also, if we if we can do this, this is a way to gently increase the density of our suburbs, without extending our cities further and further out um, into what what has been farming land. So that you know people are living you know, many many kilometres away from from city centres and from employment opportunities. It's a way to actually get people closer in, near to transport systems and so on that um, that make it much more viable. What are some of the concerns that you've heard about? Selling, and I've got a few text messages about this, if you sell the property and you've got a tenant living in the back, what are the laws around that or what rights does that tenant have? Well, that's that. look, that's where it can get complicated. It's a bit like selling a property, an investment property that, that has tenants in it. And I think it's it's probably worth getting individual legal advice rather than, than trusting, you know, general advice, you know, through the radio or through media. I think it's important to get specific advice for each, each person's situation. But yes, that is a potential complication for it. So if you're looking to sell your property in the next few years, building a secondary dwelling on it and renting it out is... is probably a complication to, to think through very carefully. Michael Fotheringham is with us from the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute. What about incentives for landlords to actually build something out the back? It's going to cost money and getting a builder is really challenging at the moment and it's expensive. How uh, should there be incentives to help this along? Well, possibly. I mean, I guess you know, one incentive is you get a rental yield from it. You get um, you get money every month from from the tenant. Someone argue that's an incentive. But but you know, where the government should actually be be putting money on the table to encourage it. That's that's probably something that that some governments will be looking at um, over the next year or two. I think you know what we're more at a stage now of removing barriers to it rather than actually 
incentivising it. But um, but it wouldn't be surprising to see you know, at least one state government looking at that quite closely. Are there quicker ways of construction so that we can get this happening quickly? Absolutely. I think this is one of the key benefits to the sort of mid-sized and smaller dwellings. I mean, we're not talking about tiny homes necessarily. I mean, the, the data that was presented this week was looking at 60 square metres minimum for a granny flat. So that's, that's a quite reasonable sized property. In fact, in many parts of the world, it's an average sized property. Um, but we can build those off-site. You can do you know, modular or prefab off-site construction and literally crane these things into people's backyards so that the, the level of disruption, you know, the sort of building site phase is, is extremely brief. It's, it's a matter of a few weeks rather than um, you know, six months or so. Michael Fotheringham, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. From the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute, Patrick is calling in from Glen Normanston. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Kirsten. How are you going? Good. You're just uh, around the corner from me. Oh, I'm in the, yes, Warn- I'm right. in the Warnable studio. That's yes. Right. <laughs> Terrific. Look, I've been involved in social housing and the homeless sector since 1979, and I've worked with a number of organisations where we have used, as Michael has just said, prefabricated. Um, modular dwellings but one of my ideas and I'm working with an organisation at the moment to try and create a business plan around this is to approach in particular rural councils where there are issues around workforce um, housing availability to utilise council land and create modular homes, modular villages using these prefabricated units with today's technology of solar power and battery you don't need to hook them up to um, major infrastructure and you could use septic tanks instead of hooking them up to sewers. And then if time, as, as time changes um, and those, those properties and dwellings aren't needed any longer, then they can be dismantled and on used somewhere else. Um, you know, as you know, in Warrnambool around here, we've had the issue with, um, with the retirement village in um, Tarang being closed down and I, I had a dream of you know one day of, of buying that land and creating a mixed living centre like they do in, in a lot of countries in Europe where you would mix younger and older people together and create a wonderful environment like that. Unfortunately I didn't win lotto so it hasn't happened. <laughs> um, but Thank you, Patrick. I think, you know, you've got a, a, some great ideas. And I remember doing a show with Rochelle about modular homes and portable homes and how our ideas of it kind of need to get updated because they are much nicer and with modern materials can be much nicer, much more eco-friendly than some of our old conceptions of that. And, and perhaps that is another solution we need to look at. Would you want to live in a granny flat on someone else's property or would you consider building a small house in your backyard and renting it out? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Kirsten Diprose joining you from the ABC studio in Warrnambool for ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Tracy Adams lives in a granny flat and also belongs to the Housing Older Women Network. Welcome to the program, Tracy. Hi, thanks, Kirsty. Tell me about where you live and how long you've been there. Okay, I live three kilometres out of a small town, Mullaney, on the Sunshine Coast in southeast Queensland. I've been in this particular granny flat for three years. 
Uh, prior to that, I was in another granny flat for six years and prior to that, another granny flat for two years. And how are you finding it? Um, mixed. I At the time, I my, the house, the granny flat I was renting was suddenly sold and I was homeless at a time when I was recovering from a major injury and was homeless and it was the only thing I could find mm. and the only reason I could afford to rent it because rents had gone up so much was to take out money out of super and that's been subsidising my rent. So I'm very happy to be living out of town because I'm a bush kind of girl. Um, my granny flat is actually built on one end of the owner's house, so I'm, I'm right there, so that there's less privacy. Yeah, um, and I, I suppose that's, you know, the, the, the difficulties of a granny flat, but you mentioned you wouldn't have had a home if this wasn't an option, right. essentially. So I'm, I'm really glad. The people I rent from, um, we have really different political and worldviews. Like, I'm a real greenie and they're coal miners, but they're very kind, <laughs> decent, considerate kind of people and they have young kids who I really enjoy. Um, so it, yeah. it works. Yeah, that's great. You yeah, know, I'm, 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 I can't afford it in the long term, but for the meanwhile, I'm very grateful to have that home. You're part of the Housing Older Women Network and we know there's a lot of research done about older women, uh, you know, often due to circumstances of being carers, caring for their kids or their older parents and then perhaps through divorce, not having uh, a lot of superannuation or a lot of money behind them because they were in that caring role for a lot of their lives. Are you finding that older women are looking to granny flats as a housing solution? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, single older women are the, are the largest and fastest growing cohort of homeless and also people experiencing severe rental stress. Rental stress or housing stress is um, paying more than 30% of your income, but many, including me, are paying more than 60% of your income on rent. So, yeah, many older women. Some are looking into share houses, but I think it's, it's a little bit difficult for older people unless they're good friends to share with other people. One of the issues, I mean, granny flats are great. One of the issues at the moment that even granny flats are very high rent, like around where I live, you're lucky to get one for under $400 a week. So if you're wow. living on a, lo on a low or even medium income, that's, that's a lot. And so you're still working, is that right, Tracy? I work part-time. I do have disabilities um, and I work part-time, but I, I'm still having to use what's left of my super to subsidise my rent, which is pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, what what are you thinking about in terms of retirement or is that just not even <laughs> where you can think? I will, I will work until I'm no longer able, partly because I have to financially, but I, I enjoy it. It gives me a sense of purpose and meaning. Mm. Um, I'm, well, I've joined the Housing Older Women movement because I'm part of a group that's working for change like the whole housing system is broken and we need so many more options for low and, and medium income people including many key workers who can't afford rentals so I've, granny, I think granny flats or secondary dwellings as they're called is part of the solution and we need to um, increase density in many of our cities and suburbs and, and rural areas by adding more secondary dwellings yeah and i think if our older women in society are the ones who are at risk or are in fact homeless, then something's yep. not structured right because they oh, are the absolutely. ones who have done the caring for so many of yes. us in our lives. We think absolutely. of our mums, our grandmums. Yep. 
Yeah. But usually that, but also worked in low-paid industries. Like I've yeah. been an environmental scientist. Many in our group have worked as social workers or community development workers or in retail, you know, with that amount of income. And, and women didn't start to even accrue super until the 90s. So it's, yeah, it, that structurally, it's a structural disadvantage for women who are born in the 40s, 50s, 60s in terms of housing and and for younger women coming up behind us, particularly if they're single parents or working in a lower income industry, mm. aged care, childcare, all of those are feminised industries where women are earning very much. And now here it is playing out in housing. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, uh, this morning. It's still morning. <laughs> I just want to let people know it's the Housing Older Women Movement. We currently have it. We're surveying women nationally, older women, for their housing aspirations. If they want to head over to our website. It's housingolderwomen.org.au and if they'd like to fill out our brief survey about their housing aspirations, that will help us in our lobbying of policymakers. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tracy. You're welcome. Let's go to David, who is in Torquay. Hi, David. Good morning. What did you want to say? Um, yeah, we're... We're on a, uh, sub, a subdivision that was done in Torquay, and they're one-acre blocks, but you know they're on the right on town. But we would like to, we wanted to see about putting a uh, granny flat in. But when the subdivision was done, it was created with uh, covenant, and the covenant was strictly stating only one residence was allowed on a on the block. So even though you could do it normally. Because of the covenant that comes with the existing subdivision, it's impossible. Is that a council law? No, it's actually the council says they their hands are tied because the covenant is a state law. Right. So when the when the developer puts writes up the the covenants for the development, the sub development, if they put that in, that's it. It's in forever. And obviously there are also a lot of towns that have historic overlay and that can cause some issues as well. David, thank you so much for calling in. I think it's really interesting that it's so different in so many different locations, suburbs, towns, due to council laws, in this case a state planning law. It can be really difficult to know whether indeed you can build a second dwelling, even if you do have the space in your backyard. Well, Jacob Kane is with us from the Real Estate Institute of Victoria. Welcome to the program, Jacob. Morning, Kirsten. Thanks heaps for having me on. What do you think about this move towards granny flats? You know, this idea that 13% of Metro Melbourne would be suitable to have a bungalow or a second dwelling in the back love it as a concept. Uh, in fact, uh, earlier on in the year in July, when um, the government was calling for submissions to its rental affordability and housing afford affordability inquiry, the, the Real Estate Institute noted granny flats as, as an area of opportunity um, to, you know, again, not a silver bullet solution, but to, to address the, you know, the massive shortage of supply that we have in the housing market. We just heard from David who called in about an issue uh, with planning about trying to build a second dwelling. Mm. It seems like there's just a kind of patchwork of laws across the state that people have to try to figure out. Are we ready to be able to quickly get second dwellings on this available land on people's properties? 
Yeah, well, there's there's two ways of answering that question. Yes, from a like a purely um, functional or delivery perspective, you know, the, the construction and delivery of granny flats can be done really rapidly and in a cost-effective way. The yeah, the real issue, and I think David's hit it on the head. There is, and and you've you've doubled that up with the the patchwork comment. Is the legislation right now is just too uh, restrictive in that area? And and again, in our submission back in July. Um, we called for the easing, the relaxation and simplification of, of some of these rules that govern the space. Um, I, I don't know if you've had the conversation yet with regards to that even the usage of granny flats is restricted to family members. And so if you construct one in your backyard and you put in you know, your granny or a child or something like that, when they vacate that, uh, the unit, the granny flat, that has to be removed then too. So that's really prohibitive and it doesn't allow for um, use beyond that sort of immediate family um, uh, parameters. Adam from Windsor has texted in to say, the most sustainable thing we can do is remove all of the remaining trees in the urban areas and put in more small demeaning houses just to grow the consumer base in an overloaded economy. This whole conversation is clutching at straws. The solution is to stop importing extra half a million people uh, a year. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, we need, I mean, look, we, we need the labour, Adam, I think some would argue as well. But, I mean, there is a point there about the the trees that we need and... I suppose, the suitability of small houses for everyone. Yeah, look, that's a, it's it's an interesting observation. I won't weigh into the, the immigration um, piece there, but when we think about density, right, like, and that, that's kind of the, 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 the one of the big themes out of what we need to do to transition to a more sustainable, um, you know, housing situation ac across Australia, really, but in, in particular in Metro Melbourne and, and, and heading further out. Um, often we think density is only going up, right? But it's also um, about better utilisation of existing spaces. Now, of course, you know, in backyards there's, there's often, you know, established trees and whatnot. But rather than continuing an urban sprawl, right, the, the opportunity here, and, and again, the, the caveat is, here, you know, that there's, this isn't a silver bullet. We, we have to hit this issue of housing supply across a variety of a spectrum of, of, of different uh, initiatives. But this putting granny flats into backyards is going to solve a lot of problem without necessarily continually expanding the borders of, of the metropolitan region, right? It'll, it'll impact on that, which will again preserve some of those green spaces that we've got around the periphery of Metro Melbourne and, and further out into regional uh, Victoria. What are the rules around granny flats, um, Jacob Kane, in regards to do you have to, if, if you're the landlord, do you have to live there at the property or could you actually own a property, live somewhere else, have someone in the front house and a granny flat at the back for someone else? Well, n not technically, not you, right? So as I sort of touched on earlier on, the, right now the, the, the limitations of the legislation dictates that only a family member can occupy that, um, that, that granny flat at the, the rear of the property. Right, so um, you couldn't have uh, two separate dwellings on, on a block 
that were, were leased out separately um, in, in that sort of framework. So, mm. w- again, that's something that we called for um, a, a relaxation on, again, to, to, to better utilise the space that's already there and find solutions that will increase the supply uh, of housing in the, in the city and across the state. Uh, Jacob, stay with us. So we're just going to take some calls. Uh, oh. a- Andrew is in Maribyrnong. Hi, Andrew. Yes, hi, how are you? Yeah, I, 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 I'm very much in, in favour of having a granny flood. Now, I live, I'll be honest with you, I live in a flood inundated area because we had a recent flood. I've, I've got a daughter who's 21 and I've got another daughter who's almost 18 next year, right? I'm happy to knock my house off and build at least you know, another unit at the back other than building a big house you know, for all of us. So this will at least help in the future because rather than you know, having this big land and just being building uh, you know, one big house on the property, you, know, you could have two houses. But obviously, as per the regulations, council... A- Andrew, would you back. have to... Oh, so council knocked it back. Would you have to knock down your property, though, to be able to do yeah. that? I am going to do that. That's right. Because because of the recent flood, okay, I'm going to knock it down. I'm going to build another house. And I'm thinking, why can't I build two and above the flood level, right? Which mm. I'm willing to pay for it. And that way, you know, I know my daughter when she's ready to move out, she's got a property. And it's, and we don't need to expand the, 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 the city area, you know. Yeah, Andrew, thank you. I think uh, a lot of people are thinking about where they can help their children out, and that might be, um, you know, building something in the back. Jill is in West Brunswick. Hi, Jill. Oh, yeah, hi. Um, Just a couple of questions. Um, One was about the insurance. I'm the owner of a home in Brunswick West. I've got a granny flat um, out the back. Um, Yeah, just the insurance and also... um, just the gentleman before said that you have to have someone within your family that lives out in the back. Um, I was going to rent it out to a student, so not a family member. Is that right? Uh, Jacob Kane um, is from the Real Estate Institute of Victoria, and he's still on the line. Jacob, can you answer that one? Yeah, from a, from a technical perspective, it's only supposed to be a family member so um I, w- I won't weigh into what what individuals might do out there with with a, a granny flat that they have on their property or a, a, some kind of other dwelling but um yeah un- under the legislation as it stands right now um just for family members okay and um just as the insurance do you know is it a separate insurance or does the landlord pay for the whole um the granny flat and and as well or yeah how, how does it work with insuring a granny flat yeah, not not in a position to to comment explicitly on that. You'd need to speak with your insurance company. I apologise. Okay, great. All right, thanks very much. Thank you so much for calling in, Jill. Uh, but that's a, a an interesting point there about insurance. You know, that's uh, another area there. And look, we've got so many text messages in about council uh, knocking things back when people have tried to do things. Um, There's quite a few text messages. We had an earlier call about uh, a covenant that you can uh, go to the Supreme Court of Victoria if you want to try to overturn that, that you can uh, object to that. Uh, You know, it's just there's a lot of work that needs to happen still, uh, I would say, Jacob. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, it's 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 not that it's it's simple from a legislative perspective, um, but I think the the recent um, housing statement from the Victorian government uh, indicated that there um, there's an appetite there to simplify, to decomplicate uh, the regulations around construction, right? And and this is just another area that that should really garner some attention. You know, for for instance, just just to think about this in in pure metric terms, right? In 2018, Victoria constructed 166 granny flats. At, in the same year, New South Wales constructed 6,065. Right wow. now, when when we think right that we're looking at over the next five years uh, a housing shortfall, a dwelling shortfall of around 105,000 dwellings. Right, but like I said before, not a silver bullet, but imagine if you could have comparable numbers as, as they had in two, uh, 2018 in New South Wales in Victoria. There's 6,000 um, people or families or couples that conceivably could have somewhere to live, which they might not have to live if we don't address these issues around planning, around supply, um, around simplification of, of, of addressing these problems. Would it make an impact on rental prices or is it just too much of a drop in the ocean. So great to have, you know, 6,000 extra people, you know, securely housed, but will it help reduce rents? I think it, it could conceivably do that. Look, it's going to it's going to reduce the demand, right? And, and obviously, like the core drivers of price, supply, demand, uh, we're in a shortage still. We continue to be in, in that, that situation where there's an undersupply. So if you inject that back in, if you, you know, the build to rent that, that um, is becoming increasingly a focus um, in terms of the construction, if you continue to, to pursue these initiatives, then we can we can solve this problem. It is solvable and it, it has to be driven um, by the government in both their initiatives around construction, but simplification of of planning laws as well. Jacob Kane, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Kirsten. Just a quick, before I go, a call out to Brunswick East, which was just named the sixth coolest suburb in all the world. So congrats, Brunswick (laughs) East. (laughs) Thanks, Jacob. It is a pretty cool suburb. I can understand that. Thank you so much for everyone who called and texted, and sorry I couldn't get to all of you. But as Jacob said, it really does require government and planning changes, but also probably from us as well, our perceptions and our, you know, notions of of how we work together as a society to, to house ourselves and everyone else. I'll be back tomorrow talking about skin cancer and sun protection and the UV index. Do we actually understand how it works? Thanks for having me. I'll catch you then.